Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, break open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a poem I've read before on occasion by George Mackay Brown. It's called The Island of the Children. I chose it because our reading this morning from the Old Testament begins with a story about two children. A man with a silver beard wrote an invitation to a boy or a girl from every country on earth to a picnic on his island. They came, one after the other, one morning. They were all delighted with the black boy because he was black as ebony and with the Chinese girl because she was yellow as starlight and with the Eskimo boy because he was plump and smelt of ice and whales and with the Greek girl because she was honey-coloured and her words and her breath were like honey too and the Arab boy ran through the fields with the Jewish girl and their voices mingling were like one ancient wise harp of praise. A girl from Siberia and a boy from Arizona had great wonderment describing bear and cactus to one another. The hundred and fifty children delighted in all the animals around them and the fish and the birds and insects. It seems that day would never end till the old enchanter who had lured them to his island, sang, The sun's down, time to go home, to get on in the world and be wise. The hundred and fifty children woke up in scattered beds. A long time had passed. They found themselves the rulers of their countries white-haired, grave, and honoured. They made important speeches about freedom, progress, and peace. From time to time, they spoke to each other across long distances, coldly. They set spies to spy on all the others, they had maps with shifting frontiers. They revolved those globes often. At last, a silver-haired president discovered the island of the children on his map. His heart sang like a lark that dawn. But it was too late. A thousand missiles were hurtling here and there. In our reading from Genesis chapter 21, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, 
whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. I don't know if you remember the story, what's going on in the background here. Abraham is the forefather of the people of Israel, and he left his own people, the Chaldeans, and set out for the promised land based on a whim, on hearing the voice of God tell him to go off wandering. My father was a wandering Aramean. And Abraham was promised by God that he would be a father of many nations. But Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren for years and years and years. So Sarah wondered how on earth Abraham was ever going to have this vision fulfilled, because it was what he lived for. So she came up with this plan of, as she couldn't have children, she would give her slave Hagar to Abraham to bear children on her behalf, which is what she did. She gave Hagar, the Egyptian, to Abraham as a wife. Hagar conceived and she bore a son, and that son was named Ishmael. But there was bad blood between Sarah and Hagar, understandably. Hagar started mocking her mistress because she could bear children and her mistress couldn't. So Sarah had her lashed and beaten, and Hagar ran away into the desert. This was before she'd even had Ishmael. But an angel came to Hagar in the desert and said, don't be afraid, you will have a son, call him Ishmael. Go back and do what Sarah says to you. I will look after you. So Hagar goes back and then a whole bunch of other stuff happens. We have the burning of Sodom and Gomorrah. We have Abraham rescuing Lot from the burning fires of the city and all the rest of it. But then, remember the three angels that come and visit Abraham under the oak tree at Mamre and prophesy that Abraham will still have a son through Sarah. And she becomes pregnant and she bears Isaac. Here we are in the story now. Ishmael is, how old is he? Well, if you look at the numbers in Genesis, he's about 14 when Isaac is born. Uh, so maybe he's, what, 15, 16 now, possibly. And in this passage, we have this description of Abraham giving a great feast on the day that Isaac is weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, so that's Ishmael, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Now the word laughing here is in Hebrew almost identical to the word Ishmael. And Ishmael and laughter are one and the same word. So there's a conundrum about actually how does this sentence get translated? Because in some versions we have the son of Hagar is laughing or mocking Isaac. In other translations we have the son of Hagar, Ishmael, is playing with Isaac. 
And there's a deliberate ambiguity there. There's a relationship between these two boys. And if we take the kind of the ambiguous one, and we look at children just simply playing together, then that brings us back to George Mackay Brown's poem. Children, if you set them together, will play together. If they're young enough not to have been contaminated. But what is it then that drives children to eventually become us? What is the difference between the children in George Mackay Brown's poem who are able to delight in each other's difference and us as adults who now have borders? What are borders? Why do they exist? We get very anxious about borders, don't we? This is our border. There's a border between Ukraine and Russia. This is our country, that's your country. We are invading across the border. We have the border between England and Scotland, and the Scots want independence at the border. We have a border between Great Britain and Northern Ireland. You can't cross that border without paying your duties because that's now part of Europe, or is it? And then there's the border between Northern Ireland and Era, a border of trouble. What are these borders? They're just lines on a map. Where do they come from? They come from stories we tell each other. They come from stories that as adults we tell our children. And they then take those stories and make them their own identity. But it seems to me that borders are actually just about power. They're about defining who has control over what. Because children know nothing about borders. It's this thing that we call sin. Where that little letter I, as I say at baptism preparation classes, that little letter I is at the center of this little word. Where I am the center and you are not. And in saying that I as opposed to you, we've drawn the border. The border between me and you, between us and them. That border that says, you are not me, you are not us, you are different. And as soon as that difference becomes a separation instead of something to rejoice over, then we have dehumanized the other person. And that is where war starts. The ability to say, you are not human, therefore I can kill you. That is the nature of sin. That is the nature of a story that we tell our children about who they are. So then we come on to Romans, where Paul is talking about baptism. And in this story of baptism that Paul tells us, we come to this thing about death. Should we continue in sin, says Paul, 
By no means. How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. Newness of life. In baptism, we die to those stories. We die to sin. We are born again as new children, with a new story. As Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, for in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is no slave nor free, there is no male nor female, all are one. Back to George Mackay Brown's poem. We are all one, different, but the same. We delight in each other and not try and separate ourselves from each other. That's what sin does, because sin focuses on me instead of you. But the trouble is that that message and that way of living will generate bitterness and hatred among everybody else especially those in power, because it threatens the structures of power. And that's why Jesus says in the gospel reading, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, don't be surprised if they call you of the devil as well. A slave is not above his master. A student isn't greater than the teacher. They've called the teacher the devil. Of course, they're going to call you that. You think I've come to bring peace? No, I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. What's that sword? That sword is the sword of love. Stand up and be counted, even if it costs you your life, says Jesus. Take up that cross. Do not be afraid to love, even if it means upsetting people and bringing the powers down that thrive on difference and hatred. This is who you are called to be. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's nothing to do with being nice to each other. It's to do with loving each other. Even if that love costs you everything. Remember when Jesus said, not a sparrow falls to the ground, but that your father notices it. Notice he doesn't say that the sparrow isn't going to fall to the ground. The sparrow falls to the ground, it still dies, but you are worth more than many sparrows and every hair on your head is counted. So take up your cross to die because your father knows you and loves you and your soul is with him. So don't be worried about the first course of this meal. You've got the rest of the banquet ahead of you. Live for that. Don't be afraid to love in Christ's name. Amen.